part two, the shopping complexes of Delhi. There are many markers one can identify to define the development of modernism in the architecture and urbanism of Delhi. But the evolution of the typology of shopping complexes provides an adumbrated view of that process. The low prestige attached to the designer markets meant that architects ignored them as subjects of concern. The indifference of the architects also cohered with the strategy of developers who only sought formulate designs. Thus, the changes in the typology of shopping complexes were by and large unself-conscious and therefore revelatory of the evolution of architectural imagination as a consequence of the larger process of modernization. Though little has been written about them, they shed much light on the subject of the development of modernism in architecture. To begin, there was the pre-existing ubiquitous bazaar or the linear market street, which is virtually synonymous with organically developed pre-modern settlements all over the world. The colonial settlements, it becomes the mall or the main street, but in typological terms, they're basically bazaars. Individual buildings in this typology were strung along the street in an organically evolved mix. These buildings accommodated cheek by jowl, different and often disparate functions, which included residential, retail, shopping, workshops, administrative offices, religious buildings, schools and hospitals in a seemingly random pattern. In modern urban planning terminology, this is described as mixed land use development and valorized in the context of historic cities. However, the degree of heterogeneity present in the bazaar is never permitted in contemporary cities because it is perceived to be chaotic and inefficient. The tenets of modern town planning therefore prescribe that different functions should be placed in spatially separated enclaves, which are of course, which of course creates other types of markets. The aesthetic imagery of the bazaar held a certain charm for the traditional urbanite, which was derived from the close juxtaposition of the different types of buildings. They found it satisfying because they valued its ambience, which resulted from the experience of serendipitous encounters when a variety of services were available at one place, from buying daily necessities, socializing, celebrating and even losing oneself in the anonymity of public places. As Neeta Kumar points out, in traditional cities like Banaras, there was a great affinity between the characteristics of the bazaar and the culture of society in which it existed. Reference 13. Her observations are applicable to the fabled Chamni Chowk of Delhi as well, for its or its innumerable other bazaars. Yet this typology was abandoned, not because the culture of society changed following Benjamin or the technologies emerged following Gideon, but because European ideals of modernism perceived them to be outdated and full of problems. But careful examination will reveal that the problems such as they were, were largely the result of bad modern planning and not intrinsic to the typology of the bazaar. These problems were created 
when uncontrolled access was given to motorized vehicles and when it was forced to accommodate a much larger scale of trade and manufacturing functions than it, had, it was initially expected to accommodate. The markets of Old Delhi were overwhelmed with the incompatible functions on account of the adjacent development of New Delhi. As a typology, it continues to be an effective model for designing markets and many contemporary architects, in fact, use it as a badge to proclaim their avant-garde credentials as designers, a sort of going back to the future design strategy. Its simultaneous timelessness and indigeneity is still able to imbue contemporary projects with a local contextuality without compromising the tenets of the modern urban design. This typology was replaced in the early part of the last century with that of the square by the colonial town planners. Its antecedents were entirely European and can be traced to the ideals of public places established in the 17th century constructions of Place de Vosges in Paris and the St. James Square in London. These squares were preconceived urban forms and were often built as speculative ventures by single owners. Aesthetic symmetry and a sense of rational order were sought in their design to give it an elitist image and thus the project and thus project more attractive to buyers. To ensure that these aesthetic objectives were adhered to during the long time it took to complete the projects, they were they introduced the concept of restrictive covenants. Its introduction into Delhi meant that the process of organic growth and development of the picturesque bazaar was replaced with the deliberately planned aesthetics of the square. The principles underpinning the new aesthetics was standardization in the architectural design, reference 14. This was a modern idea. The square or a circle, as in the case of Connaught Place, can be described as buildings around a central space and should be distinguished from the traditional chalk or tradition of traditional cities because it is not a crossroads. Vehicular traffic serves the buildings within the square, but it is seldom a thoroughfare and buildings in this typology had deep shops with narrow frontages, usually connected by covered walkways. The building elevations were controlled by means of restrictive covenants and the central space was demarcated as a landscape park separated from the surrounding buildings by an access road. Compared to the bazaar, the square was fundamentally only a partially mixed-use development because only compatible uses were permitted, retail shopping on the ground floor and residential units above. The use of this typology was common in Delhi up to the 1960s and its application can be seen in the design of Kunar Place, Sundanagar Market and South Anchorage Extension Market, for example. Today, its use is restricted to smaller local markets of residential colonies. Over the years, the original characteristics of the square had been transformed because the principle of standardization got subverted when people started using the markets. Such contingent transformation of the design, uh, design ideals become recognizable as a 
persistent characteristic in the contemporary architecture and urbanism. But contemporary architects and urban planners do not see this because in the next project, they reproduce the same design ideal, which in their turn gets transformed, leaving critic to wonder whether the concept of the standardization in architectural design suits the local urban culture. It must be pointed out that the culture of standardization took a long time to get assimilated into the consciousness of European society. This process was facilitated by the correlated developments that took place in industrialization, urban laws, and the nature of urbanity in those societies. Such a coordinated mediating historical process was not, has not taken place here. And it is therefore not surprising that the virtues of standardization were not appreciated in the markets of Delhi. Hence, one finds that the Delhi version of the square, as seen in Saroji Nagar market or South Asian market, for example, is, a, is as crowded and chaotic as the bazaar and the, and the nature of the mixed development as heterogeneous. The square typology is now undergoing further transformation under the influence of globalization. The facades of many buildings have begun to sport new curtain wall glazing or are otherwise emblazoned with a collage of giant advertising billboards, which have all but obliterated the original intent of standardized elevations. The central space has also changed to accommodate electric transformers, police posts, milk booths, and informal shopping that the planners did not originally anticipate. Its pathologies, as in the case of the bazaar, are therefore more the consequence of bad modern planning than the characteristics inherent in the typology. The source of the problem in the, is the fact that the planner and the architect did not have the imagination to understand the characteristics of Indian urbanization or urbanity. Reference 15. Though the concept of the square was developed in Europe in the 17th century, its introduction into Delhi was more recent and coincided with the modernization initiatives of the colonizers, such as the establishment of the modern system of urban governance and planned urban development, including the building of New Delhi. Hence, it became associated with the concept of modernity, and many towns all over India raised their older historic parts during the interwar years and reconstructed them using the square typology in order to become modern. As for example, Ujjain's Chhatri Chowk, built in the 1930s by the Sindhyas. Even though the square is not a popular model today, some of the modern architectural principles it introduced have continued to determine the architectural design of subsequent shopping complexes. The extension of the structural grid of the building to modulate the design of public spaces outside, the valorization of uniformity of building elevations achieved through restrictive covenants, and the concept of having dual functions in each buildings in the complex. These principles have become orthodoxy to express modernism in architecture of Delhi. The first master plan of Delhi in 1962 introduced the second modern typology of shopping complexes in Delhi the place. The master plan was in fact a deliberate, deliberate strategy to modernize town planning 
and was substantially the contribution of foreign consultants hired by Ford Foundation to assist local planners. These foreign consultants, not surprisingly, brought with them their own aesthetic baggage to Delhi. It came in the form of the modernist ideals of the post-war reconstruction of Europe and the urban renewal projects in the United States, with which they were familiar. Its aesthetics were rooted in the principles of the international style, reference 16, which was architectural orthodoxy in those countries. The foreign planners sought to create a new New Delhi by replicating its aesthetics and the patterns of suburban development of Europe and the United States. These initiatives were, however, not entirely alien to the sensibilities of local practitioners because Le Corbusier, one of the most influential propagandists of the international style, was already at work in Chandigarh and the local architects were au fait with the design of Sector 17 Town Centre which is based on the typology of the place. The place typology can be described as buildings in space, as against the concept of buildings surrounding space, which characterize the square. Standardization and the uniform grid, usually about six meters square to accommodate underground parking and restrictive covenants introduced in the square typology continue to determine the spatial design and the facades of buildings of the place, though the compositional principle is on the whole asymmetry, not symmetry. Functionally, the shops in this typology are located on the ground floor and the upper floors are meant for offices, not residences. The depth of the shops are less than the square typology and there is generally a clear separation between the pedestrian and the vehicular movement systems in the planning of the place. The wholesale acceptance of the new typology was facilitated by the palpable desire to modernize among the post-independence generation of architects in Delhi. Typically, the Mark magazine in an editorial of 1950 wrote of the genuine desire of an Indian Renaissance, reference 17, and A.P. Kaninde spoke of the need for democratic architecture, reference 18. The acceptance of the international style as the politically correct style and the adoption of the master plan of Delhi drafted by foreign experts promised to fulfill these expectations. Many of this generation had the opportunity to study abroad and they experienced firsthand the new architecture and models of town planning in Europe and America. These images naturally had a powerful impact on the imagination and received the argument in favor of the international style. They expected this image to modernize Delhi and transform it into a contemporary metropolis. It is hardly surprising, therefore, that the place typology soon became the preferred model to express the language of modernism and its earliest manifestations in Delhi were the design of the Nehru Place District Center and the Yashwan place in Janakpuri. As the newly converted, architects and urban planners of Delhi uncritically accepted the image of the international style and the patterns of the modern of the master plan as an article of faith. They did not question its efficacy or examine its application in the field. And significantly, they also did not seek to transform the process of building 
only its image. Even educational institutions did not address the larger issues of modernizing architecture through the process of modernizing building technology. They merely adopted the rhetoric of the new image in their pedagogy. pedagogy. Set up primarily to service professional offices, these institutions had little disciplinary objectives in their curricular agenda. And so they, they were not equipped to ex examine the relevance or implications of such superficial understanding of modernity. <clears throat> Thus, many more generations of locally trained architects and urban planners were educated to carry this legacy, reference 19. Today, one finds that almost all large shopping complexes which were built after the 1960s have followed this typology, making it as ubiquitous in New, New Delhi as the bazaar typology was in Old Delhi. In hindsight, one wonders how architects and planners could have imagined that the suburban morphology transplanted from abroad and the rigidity uh, hierarchical compartmentalization of shopping complexes defined by the master plan were expected to work in a dynamically changing and developing society. The master plan envisaged the need for 22 district centers and 122 community centers to serve a population of about 12 million by 2001. But less than half this number have actually been constructed. Resource constraints were endemic to any developing society and therefore it should not come as a surprise that all the infrastructure and research could not be built. The complexes which were built are as a result of intensely used public places and subjected to much greater pressure to accommodate the growing needs of the community. Thus, once again, one notices that external factors and not the intrinsic characteristics of the place typology have created the problems in these shopping complexes. In this instance, the partial implementation of the master plan. The certainty of such failures is indeed a remarkable feature of architectural modernism. And yet, architects and urban planners have not found it necessary to address this issue in their designs and instead continue to fault the nature of the urban context in which they work and the people for the transformation they inflict on their projects. A visit to any of the commercial and retail complexes will reveal that there is no correspondence between the modernizing ideals espoused by the designers and how they were put to use by the people. It is as though architects and urban planners were a class, indeed a breed apart from the people for whom they were desi they designed. So profound is the misunderstanding between the intent of the designer and the expectations of the user. The aesthetics or the physicality of the space that designers conceive is invariably transformed, indeed mauled. The uniform grid obliterated, the rational symmetry subverted. In fact, there is little resemblance between what exists at site and the drawings and models of the projects that the designers presented to the clients and the statutory authorities for approvals. And yet, in every seminar examining these problems, it is not the intent of the designer that is put to question, but the user 
who is castigated for transforming the architecture or the master plan. This perception reached a maniacal crescendo during the tenure of Jagmohan as the Minister of Urban Development during 2000-2001. His righteous indignation and fervent evangelism to promote planned development and the rule of law failed to consider the ontological significance of the plans and the laws governing development itself and the fact that the models on which they were based were not suitable for evolving for solving the problems facing our cities thus the crux of the problem confronting modernism in form making and space making is this it attempts to drive a square peg into a round hole and thereafter fought the hole for being round what i have described are not revelations the now forgotten report of the national commission on urbanization prepared by charles coria made much the same point but of course it made no impression on the official urban planning policy reference 20 the gap between what is designed and how it is put to use is familiar to any designer working in local conditions and yet they continue to design and idealize on paper what they know will not materialize on the ground in architectural and urban planning terms this is perhaps the equivalent of the mystifying amnesia or the post colonial aftermath that the post colonial academics refer to in other disciplines the depth of this mystery is indeed very striking in the contemporary architecture and urbanism in delhi these issues have become much more contentious with the introduction of the third modern typology of the shopping complexes the self contained shopping mall it is a direct consequence of the economic liberalization of the last decade as in the case of place typology the shopping mall typology was also imported global architectural aesthetics lock stock and barrel as it were while the place typology imported spatial patterns and looks the shopping mall imports materials and technology as well it responds to and is fueled by the power of transnational corporations and finances to dictate the terms of aesthetic engagement with the hitherto protected indian urban scape these new users have been increasingly entitled through deregulations of the national economy and do not seek an indian identity but an aggressively international one as saskia sassen points out the new city users have made an often immense claim on the city and have re- reconstituted strategic spaces of the city in their image their claim is rarely examined or challenged reference 21 the post colonial perspective offers an eminently suitable framework to undertake such an examination while it is still too early to arrive at definitive conclusions about the influence of the shopping mall typology and the reconstitution of the strategic spaces of the city suffice it to say that for the present that it brings into much sharper focus the recurrent characteristics of the modernism's progressive engagement with the local context the increasing distance between its ideals and the urban conditions which prevail in our cities in the case of the shopping mall 
backed by the power of international resources, the distance appears to have been have made deliberately insurmountable. This typology does not even pretend to address the conditions of the public place, as the understanding of that concept was developed through history, because the rights of admissions are reserved both implicitly and explicitly. In fact, exclusivity, not inclusivity, is the typology's defining characteristic. As self-contained activity centers, these buildings do not relate to their neighbors. The public environment it valorizes mocks the rest of the city. Uninterrupted power supply, self-sufficient water and sewage, disposal systems, and round-the-clock air conditioning, and often nothing in return, and offers nothing in return. All these exclusive facilities are available at a price that automatically restricts the privileges of its use to the metropolitan elite. Going by the evidence of the increasing number of new projects that have begun to adopt this modern aesthetics and the large number of recent student thesis projects that mimic its image, it is clear that in a few years from now, it too will become as ubiquitous as Delhi's urban, in Delhi's urban scape as the earlier typologies were in their time. Hence, whether one supports this development or not, its impact on the general architectural imagination cannot be ignored. On the positive side, it is argued by its advocates that the demands of constructing these buildings have set in motion a discernible change in the professional attitude to the services that they are routinely provided. Local architects and clients are now more conscious of the quality of the product and, the, and, the, and consciousness of the nature of the professional services that are required to produce it. Indeed, numerous seminars on the impact of WTO agreement and the efforts to mo uh, modify contract documents by professional associations reflect this change. New materials, construction technologies, management systems, and financial strategies are having a profound impact on the timidly traditional construction industry and a smugly complacent architecture profession lulled by decades of state patronage and control over, its, over resources. Both are now responding to the demands of aggressive capitalism and the competitiveness it breeds. This, it is argued, is a modernizing process. It is being spearheaded by new actors who are often not involved hands-on architect, but faceless transnational corporation who distance themselves from the problems wrought by the new market forces on which, on which they ride. They have wrested the initiative from the older generation of star architects, both in terms of new commissions being executed and on deciding the worth of architecture that is locally produced. In the process, it would appear that the last vestiges of resistance in the culture of local architecture and urbanism is being wiped out. In the next section, I offer a possible strategy to reconstitute resistance by describing a design process I developed for a community center project for DDA. The project is located in Narela, a remote and still undeveloped subsidy being developed by DDA at, an, at the northern periphery of, of Delhi and currently being populated by the austies of the slums of Delhi.